Magic isn't supposed to be real! He shouted. Redcaps and Kappas and Trolls, those things aren't supposed to be real! Alright, hello, welcome back to the Remedial Magic Podcast, uh, episode 3, guys, we made it. Yeah, it, it's been a blast so far, I'm looking forward to getting more into the book, getting more into the um, stuff that I've been trying not to spoil for Baylor so far. Absolutely. As they say, you know, third time's a charm, so we should have all of our little mess-ups fixed. So if we don't, feel free to roast us at our socials. Delbert, what are they? Yeah, our socials are uh, for Instagram and Twitter, the underscore RM podcast. And then if you want to send an email to us, we'd accept those as well. Remedialmagicpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, as we uh, as we get started here, just a, as I guess as a quick reintroduction, my name's Brady. I'm the host, I'm working here with my uh, my co-host, my brother Baylor, and our other co-host, our good friend Delbert. And what we're doing here on this podcast is we're just kind of going through some Harry Potter fan fictions that we find interesting and good, and we're uh, just going to kind of review them. And we've decided to start off with a big one, a long one. It's called Alex Quick and the Thorn Circle. And we've uh, we've made the, the decision as a group here that trying to do three chapters at a time is a little bit too much. So for those of you who were who are here from chapter or from episode one and were dedicated to us from then. Sorry to throw you another curveball, but I think from now on, we're just going to be chapter by chapter, one chapter at a time. And so uh, I'm excited for that because it lets us get a little bit deeper into the chapters. And I think you guys are too. Yeah. I, I know last week when we had uh, chapter four, we knew that was going to be too much to cover if we combined it with anything else. And then when I looked forward to next week, I was like, oh, this is also going to be too big. So I think it makes a lot of sense to keep it one at a time. And that's going to give us some opportunities to host some other discussions, something that we're going to try to get into a little bit later on in this episode. Uh, We're going to be looking into a few other things, just some other theories that are created by fans of the Harry Potter universe. Uh, We've got a good one from Reddit to start off with today, so I'm excited to get to that. But that's going to come after the main discussion. Um... And so without further ado, we're reading chapter five of Alex Quick. Uh, this chapter is called The Short Bus. The Short which... Bus, which is, yeah, we're we're not endorsing any negative connotations <laughs> around the title. However, Absolutely. the author also put some negative connotations in Alex's yes, mind. Yes, so. they do. <laughs> so we're we're going to treat this as it's titled what it is, and we're going to work uh, around that instead of with it, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, so this is chapter five of Alex Quick in the Thorn Circle, and I suppose before we get in our main discussion, we need to do everybody's favorite segment, the one that gives me the most stress, our three-sentence summary. And we're going to start today with Baylor, and then I'll go next, and then Delbert, you'll go ahead and finish it off. So Fantastic. Take it away. All righty. The short bus. Here we go. A tired Alex returns to her home, awaiting punishment, but finds out that she has been in the clear because of the confundus charm. Alex spends a uh, part of a day at home following the rules and then says, you know what the heck with that? I'm going to do everything I was told not to. After being chastised, Alex boards the short bus and joins a bunch of other new students to Charmbridge Academy. Just to be clear, it's only called the short bus because it is in fact a school bus that's shorter than normal. Yes. For no yes. other reason. Yes. Yes. We are not endorsing, uh, being rude to anybody that has any sort of disability. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's where we're at. Once again, Alex is expecting to get in trouble, doesn't, and then for some reason does. Decides that she needs to. It's like she's got an addiction to being in trouble. So uh, I'm excited to talk about it. All right. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll just get started. Like Baylor said in the summary, we begin this chapter with Alex returning back to Larkin Mills, back to her hometown with Dean Grimm. They're returning on the Automagica, and I know between episodes, we sort of thought we didn't do the Automagica enough justice, so I wanted to give you guys the opportunity to point anything out about it here uh, before we move on and get into the meat of the chapter. So what did you guys notice about the Automagica last time that we didn't bring up? Go ahead and bring it up now. Yeah, so I think the obvious one that we've already discussed that we missed out bringing up last time was the double-decker Formula One bus that uh, seemed to be just an amazing contraption that I would love to see. Yeah, is this just a 
a bus that's just like two Formula One cars stacked on top of each other. So instead of it carrying one person, it can carry two. Yeah, I have no idea. And it makes me think of the night bus, which obviously that wasn't meant for Formula One. But if they brought it to Formula One, they would certainly win. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. Oh, yeah. Uh, one, The thing I thought was interesting was, and Dean Grimm pointed it out, the lack of enforcement of these private licensed cars. And, and since a, a car is thought of as a muggle thing, it almost made me think like, oh, maybe they should bring over old uh, Mr. Weasley, you know, to try to build a department in the American Ministry of Magic, maybe, maybe help out there a little bit. Uh, Mr. Weasley would lose his mind if he saw the Auto Magica. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be an incredible entrance for a Harry Potter character to come in and interact with this world. If I recall correctly, Mr. Weasley, in fact, had like an old broken down car out in their barn in their backyard, and he was trying to figure out what to do with the Sparksy What's-Its and the, the Who's or Whatever's and the the rubber ducks, he was trying to figure out how rubber ducks fit into the car. And so I'm sure that, that his mind would be like a melted puddle on the floor if he saw the Auto Magica. Yeah, right. Like, given the fact that his position is like dealing with stuff that's harming muggles, like ma- like mar- muggle items tricked you know, or turned magical, you know, that are harming muggle items. A car where the grill is attempting to eat anybody that goes by might uh, trigger some anxiety there. Yeah, it's uh, the Auto Magica seems like a, a cool mode of transportation for sure. But one of those wizarding world modes of transportation that's really not that practical. Yeah, and that's actually something I wanted to bring up that we didn't really discuss last time. Is why is there an Auto Magica? The stuff we learn about in Harry Potter with port keys, with apparition, things like this. It seems so much more efficient than to drive across, you know, roadways. Even if it is at a very fast fast speed or somehow warping space time to arrive quicker than you should. But it just, I don't know, it still seems inefficient compared to Apparition, which as far as I know is instant. Yeah, yeah. this is uh, an interesting thing to bring up just because I don't know if it's an American thing or what, but there seems to be something going on in America where we like things that aren't as efficient, aren't as practical, if they're cool enough. And no. the Automagica is cool enough. I think it's cool enough to justify itself. Yeah, and you know, you know, they might have a war where they have to transport lots of war machinery on it, like the interstate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that is fair for those that don't know the interstate was originally intended for a way to travel across the country for our uh, military, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Alternatively, the Auto Magica is simply put in this book just so that the author of the book can make the troll booth joke that we talked about last time. And honestly, they could have made 10 chapters about the Automagica describing every little pebble on the road would have been worth it to me. Just for, for the troll booth just joke? Just for the troll booth joke. All right. I bet there's a troll out there that would clean off that pebble. Oh, but, yeah, for sure. Easily no, entertained, I suppose. Very hardworking people or <laughs> trolls. All right. So after we get off the Automagica, when they get back to Alex's house, Dean Grimm, uh, make sure to warn Alex about the pond. Like, hey, don't go back there. Uh, we're going to send a team, or at least I'm not going to send a team, but the the confederation will send a team out to uh deal with the kappa a team from a department called the department of magical wildlife which i assume exists in other places and other wizarding governments but definitely exists here in this storyline because it seems like magical creatures are going to play a big role going forward yeah and i just wanted to point out one cool thing that i thought because i'm a massive nerd but i like how Similar to similar to last episode when we were talking about how Harry Potter was in UK and this one's in the United States, obviously, so they're different areas. But I just like the different verbiage they use. Like we had the Bureau of Obfuscation. Obfuscation. It's a tough word. It's a hard one. And then we have uh, the Department of Magical Wildlife instead of the Department of Magical Creatures. Perhaps it just it's just a neat thing to see for my for my end. And, you know, I don't think either of you guys mentioned this directly, but I think this is the chapter with the largest curveball, not only in this book, but in the entire series of Alex Quick. So, Brady, I know you and me have read the entire series. When have you ever known for someone to tell Alex Quick not to do something? And she actually doesn't do it. She does not return to the pond in this episode. It's true. She doesn't go back to the (laughs) pond. And this is the first and 
I guess it's yet to be seen, but possibly the only time she listens to a direct authority figure telling her what to do. It seems so far she has done the exact opposite. I think Lilith Grimm would have been better off saying, go to the pond. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, uh, the the ability to listen to instruction for Alex is just not there. She likes to rebel. But after uh, she gets the warning about the pond, Dean Grimm tells Alex that she's going to be picked up the day after tomorrow in a couple of days for an all-day, all-expenses-paid shopping trip back to the Goblin Market. Um, and she goes on to describe why she's going there, because Alex wants to know why am I going back, and it's to get school supplies, the proper clothing, the proper uh, books, that kind of stuff. And uh, the description that she gave of the Goblin Market, the purpose of going back there, it just was very similar to the first trip that we see Harry take to Diagon Alley in the original series, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, so I think the three of us kind of would know what to expect upon reading this because we've seen that from the original series. But it's also cool to know that these little places exist in these large cities where wizards could go and get anything they needed. It is nice to see more sort of wizard-only spaces existing in the universe. One thing I thought was interesting uh, going back probably the last chapter uh, just how they entered this place. Like, in the Harry Potter series, they go through this brick wall. Hagrid has to tap a certain brick in a certain order, and then the wall dissolves and forms an archway. Um, in in this one, they just walk through what seemingly is a muggle laundromat, opens a door, and poof, they're in a different world. It just... I wonder if a, if a muggle were to open that door, if it'd be like a closet or something. You know, and I had an interesting theory about that. I don't know if either of you... Have you seen Westworld at all? Have I have seen, seen Westworld. It's a pretty good show. Yeah, so there's a point in the first season, which, spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't seen it that wants to, there's a point where we find out that Bernard is an AI, and he can't see the door that's directly in front of him. Now, this is obviously like a scientific tool that's being used, but I assume like in this laundromat or even in Diagon Alley, um, you would see similar stuff just with magical properties rather than scientific. I do think it works pretty similarly. I, we see... In the fifth book, we see St. Mungo's. How they enter St. Mungo's is they just walk through the front window of an abandoned department store, and they're there. So it's like, uh, it, I think it was explained best by Stan Shunpike uh, when Harry asked how people don't notice the night bus, and he just goes, well, those muggles, they don't really notice anything, do they? Right, yeah, and I don't know all the instances in the books, but I just rewatched um Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, and I know in the movie... They all hop on brooms and they just go right by a little boat with a bunch of muggles on board and no one says anything. So, Yeah, and I, I'm actually uh, listening to uh, Rick, uh, the Rick Riordan Titan series. Or, uh, it's like Percy Jackson. Yeah, Percy Jackson series. And it's kind of the same thing. Like The only reason that normal folks can't see these magical things happening is because... They just don't perceive that much. They don't expect to see that, so they don't see it. And with that all being said, I do find your original question a little bit hilarious. It would be funny if just some random dude that's doing his laundry in a public laundromat opened that door and just saw everything. <laughs> that would be uh, that would be a big shock for that guy. And oh yeah, the uh, obfuscation officers would be on the scene pretty quick. I'm I guessing. think this would be a time where they would use oblivion for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, this isn't, of course, an official Harry Potter podcast. This is a fan fiction podcast. We're going to get back to the fan fiction here. But um, Dean Grimm leaves Alex with one final warning, basically just saying, look, we know when you use magic, don't use any more magic until you get to school. That way, you know, things stay nice and calm around here and we don't have any more issues. And as Alex leaves the car and goes inside, her mom is there waiting to see her and Alex immediately thinks, I'm going to be in trouble for being gone for so long, but lo and behold, her mom's not mad. In fact, her mom seems the opposite. Her mom seems excited that she had the opportunity, which makes Alex feel a little bit uneasy. Well, and even like Miss Grimm said, you know, this is the only time a confundus charm is going to keep you out of trouble, so don't get any ideas, basically. Yeah, and that's uh, that's the pretty much the book written answer for why her mom seems okay with what's going on. Yeah. And so Alex goes to bed. Um, we probably don't need to discuss it too much, but we get reminded of, of the big events that we've seen so far. Alex has a dream 
of the pond again, but instead of it being the Kappa in the pond trying to pull her underwater, it's the mysterious man from the locket that she found earlier trying to pull her in the pond with the Kappa standing off to the side winking at her instead. So uh, this is definitely playing big on her mind, especially the the man in the locket uh, who she doesn't really know who it is, but she feels that he must be pretty important. Um, when she wakes up in the morning, we find out that she's still grounded. She was hoping that the Confundus charm would make it so that she wasn't grounded, but we find out that she's still grounded. And I want to read this quote for, uh, for us to discuss because it's kind of goes back to what you said, Delbert, about Alex actually listening for once. I know exactly what you're about it to It just read. says, Alex decided to actually be- behave herself that day. Naturally, before the day was over, she would have broken every rule she'd just been told not to. Except for going to the pond. Except for going to the <laughs> pond. But I guess this just shows that even with the best of intentions, maybe it's not Alex seeking trouble. It might be the other way around or something like that. At this point, Alex, her thoughts go back to the locket. She has opened it before, but then when she closed it, she wasn't able to get it to reopen. And so she starts working on it. And it says that she works on it for like an hour using any sort of non-magic means to get it open. But, of course, we all know what's going to happen next. She's going to get frustrated and she uses magic um, to open the locket, which, of course, is probably going to lead to trouble later on. But in the immediate, it helps. It's successful. The only the only bad thing is that she opens the locket and this time the... The figure inside doesn't move at all. Just doesn't wink at her, doesn't seem to do anything. And even though she begs him to, you know, give her answers or move her, you know, whatever she's begging him to do. Yeah, she does try to get the guy to respond pretty heavily. Um, I want to go back really quick and just touch on the way she opens the locket is another example of this rhyming magic that we've seen her do in the past where she can control her magic, but only through, like, rhyming verse instead. Yeah, and I know upon my initial reading of the series, I'm caught on to the fact that she uses a different rhyme this time to open it. Um, so it made me wonder whether or not her rhyme schemes could be reused or if they had to be original each time. Well, going back to the first episode, she actually plays a little game with herself, and she tries to think of a different rhyme every time that she does a spell. Right. Yeah, so... Uh, Her rhyming magic is something that is bound to come up again, especially when she gets to school, because we know that spells in the wizarding world aren't cast through rhymes. So it'll be interesting to see how that interaction takes place with the magic she's currently doing versus the magic that she is going to be taught to do instead. One thing I thought was interesting was from like the wizarding world that we know and the school there is that they have to get the spell word exactly correct, say it exactly right in order for the spell to work. I mean, we see that with Hermione telling Ron, it's Leviosa, not Leviosa, you know. And it just is interesting to me how she isn't even using a spell, but yet the magic is still working for her. Yeah, that is a good point. That's something that uh, will surely be addressed as we move forward, I'm guessing. Um, Before Alex leaves the locket alone after she gets frustrated. She does notice a few things about the man in the locket. She notices uh, some similarities between herself and the man. She notices that they've got the same color of hair. So we start to get a picture of the guy in the locket, right? He's got jet black hair just like she does. Um, They've got the same nose. Their nose hooks in the same small way. Uh, She notices that they have the same softly rounded cheeks. And while she can't really determine if this resemblance means too much, it definitely sets off some alarm bells in her head. Like, wait a second. Could this possibly be my father? She definitely starts to consider that a little bit more in this moment. Which yeah. I, f- I find interesting uh, that she hasn't been considering this seriously from the beginning. I mean, it was in her mother's closet. You know, this, this picture of this mysterious man. I don't know. I just think I would think, oh, this is interesting. I don't know this guy, but yet my mom has a picture of him. I do wonder um, why her mom is so hesitant to tell her who this person is. Like in this moment, reading this the first time, I was like, I don't really see the harm in 
telling who this guy is because if it is her father, then there's not really any reason for her mom to not know about her magical powers or potential magical powers either. But uh, as far as I know, does her mom know that she's even found the locket at this point? Oh, that's a good point. I suppose her mom probably doesn't know yeah, and that I mean, she's been in the closet to find the locket. Maybe not for this guy, but every time she seems to ask about her father, she has shut her down. So I don't know if she'd be forthcoming with whoever this is either. It's definitely not the response you would expect somebody to give if they just didn't know who her father was. Like The way she reacts, I think, probably tells Alex that it's obviously somebody that her mom doesn't want her to know about, not just that she doesn't know who it is. Yeah, and definitely Inverarty has definitely planted the seed in this chapter, giving us, you know, us readers are wondering, is this her father, basically? You yeah, know? the the dad's going to be a big theme moving forward, I think, because we've had it mentioned in every single chapter of the book so far. Yeah, and she, she feels, or Alex feels almost attached to her father, at least I think so, and I... I don't know if she notices it, but at least subconsciously, she's keeping these items that she thinks are her father's or her father gave her mother, and they seem to be special to her. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. I mean, it's it's one thing to not know necessarily who your father is, but to have something like magical powers and then learn that it can be from your family, it probably makes her pretty suspicious that, you know... I didn't get these from my mom, obviously. She's married to to a cop who who doesn't do anything other than be a cop and be mean to me. It must have come from the other side of my family. Right. Oh, yeah, especially because this locket and picture have magical qualities. You know, the picture is moving. The locket didn't unlock without a spell, etc. Yeah, so at, after Alex notices all this stuff, uh, she hears a tapping on her window, and she immediately closes the locket like she's been caught doing something she shouldn't have been doing. Um, which she has been, but not anything to do with the locket. And when she opens her drapes, we hear that there's an owl sitting on her windowsill with a letter in its beak. And this is a very similar scene to something we've seen before in the original series. But she opens the window and takes the letter from the owl. And lo and behold, she has herself a, uh, a letter saying, hey, you did some more magic. We told you not to do that. This is a warning, but if you do it again, there will be further consequences. And I, something I found interesting about the letter that I don't know if you guys noticed or thought was interesting was that it's signed by this person from the Central Territory Trace Office. Not from like the head of the Confederation Office, but somebody from a specific territory instead. And I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, we're, we've got like a smaller government within the bigger government. Right, yeah, I think it definitely shows almost a mimic of how the U.S. government works with our state governments, but still being below the federal government. But to me, it also gave like a um, almost an old Western feel when we used to have territories as well, like lawless territories out West before everything was settled and set up. So it kind of gave me both of those implications. Yeah, and it, uh, it kind of answered my question from... Or my statement, I guess, from the last episode where I said Chicago appears to be the center of the American wizarding world. Really, it's probably just the center of this central territory. Yeah, that's a, an important point to bring up, I think, because, again, I've stated before, but America is too big of a place to be under one big governing body without smaller divisions to help keep things in order. And so it makes sense that there's probably sub sub governments within the larger uh, confederation system that they have set up uh, and so she gets this warning and she's like "Ooh, ouch i don't like how much they know about me that doesn't feel very good and then she gets a second owl this time carrying a letter that is literally smoking as she gets it into her room and we all know this to be the the famous howler from the Harry Potter universe. Uh, and you guys, I'm sure you guessed before you read it who this was from. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. there was only one real candidate for this one. I will also know it wasn't an owl. It was a, a bird of prey. Oh, so excuse me. You're right. It was a bird of prey. Yeah. And so she gets a howler and uh, she opens it because she's scared of what might happen if she doesn't. And it starts yelling at her and telling her, I told you not to do that. How could you break the one rule I set for you? What's wrong with you? Like, you only have two more days till you're in school. 
relax, stop doing magic. And that's all fine and dandy. It, it, I think it, frankly, it scares the bejesus right out of Alex. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. I noticed personally that there is some irony in Alex getting in trouble for doing some very quiet to herself magic and the response being to send her this letter into her house with a giant bird of prey that literally screams at the top of its lungs. Like she has neighbors and they have ears. What are we expecting to happen here? Yeah. So I've got two things on that. First off the book or the, uh, the reading addresses it because she is home alone. So maybe there's a way that Lilith Grimm knew that knew that it wouldn't be heard. Maybe it was even charmed to not produce sound outside of its given area. Who knows? But the other thought that I had is what kind of world do we live in where these letters are arriving this instantly? So I could understand that they can conjure the letter, but are they also conjuring the birds at that point to show up that instantly? Like, I have no idea. That is a good point. That's something I've wondered about, about that whole system from the very beginning. Owls seem to be good at delivering letters, but how are they getting from place to place so quickly, especially in an instance like this where the offense just happened? Right. And we can assume, based off what we just learned about it being a central territory and Chicago being a mainstay, that at least the trace office's letter probably came from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I would imagine so. Chicago seems like a capital city. Yeah, maybe there's a automagica for the birds as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> speeds That's up a good time. Thought. Excellent. Up We've speed. got like double decker peregrine falcons zooming through the <laughs> through the airstream through the jet stream. Yeah, hopefully there's yeah. some dodo birds still around. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, after all this happens. Alex gets a little impatient. You know, she's been reprimanded. She's had enough of sitting inside. And so she goes outside, which she's been told not to go outside by her parents, but she justifies it by saying, I'm not going out of my property, so I'm not breaking the rules yet. And she stands on the edge of her property, and she sees Brian playing kickball, and she gets his attention. He, She actually gets him to stop and and listen to what she has to say and she essentially ends up telling him everything about the wizarding world that she knows so far yeah and i mean grim didn't expressly forbid it but she did very heavily recommend against doing this exact thing so of course that's what alex does yeah and i think we see not only for the secrecy thing but also because this just pushed brian further away i mean i think he he said it's not our world alex it's your world or something along those lines. So it clearly it didn't have the effect on him that she intended. Yeah, I don't know if she told him this just hoping to get her friend back or because she was hoping he would think it was cool or what, but you're exactly right. It didn't it didn't do whatever she was intending for it to do. In fact, it I think it scared Brian a little bit cuz he give he responds to her a few ways. He you know, he says like, "Hey, magic is not supposed to be real." And she goes, well, it is. What about those creatures? And he goes, something to the effect of, they're not real. They're imaginary. They're real for you, but they're not for me. Right. And I don't know. I'm sure he's scared, but he's probably also, I'm guessing, a little bit jealous. Like, what 11-year-old boy wouldn't see their best friend having real magic powers and not be jealous? Jealousy's in there. I also think you're right when you're saying scared. Because now he's growing up in a world where he knows that these Kappas exist. He knows that these Red Caps exist. He knows that he and his sister aren't magical. What happens if he runs into them again? I mean, that's a scary thought for him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It kind of almost seemed like maybe he had told his parents as well. And the reason I say that is because him saying, those are imaginary. Those are real for you, but they're not for me. That's like something an adult would have told him if he would have told somebody like, you're making that up. You're not, you're telling lies, you know? So maybe he's saying that to, you know, tell himself, don't believe any of this, whatever. That's true. He could be trying to convince himself a little bit. I mean, you're right. If you're not magical and you know that stuff exists, like some of the stuff in the magical world, you don't want to know about that. Like this is a case where, as Dean Grimm said at the end of the last chapter for Brian, ignorance would be bliss here. But now that he knows, I'm sure that his life is a little bit turned upside down, which isn't really fair for him, and Alex doesn't really realize that. Um, Alex goes back inside after this conversation with Brian, and eventually she has a conversation with her mom that I found interesting the first time I read, 
because some of the stuff her mom says really made me go, now, wait a second. She's not confunded anymore. What is this conversation actually about? Right. Because she she's nervous about going to school. Her mom can tell because she's more quiet than usual. And her mom reassures her and says all kinds of things like, you're going to make great friends there. That school is a great opportunity for you, even though she doesn't know anything about the school. Um, Supposedly. And it makes Alex question, what does she actually know? Is she still confunded? I don't think she is. So why is she making these comments? How she could, how could she possibly know this stuff? Right. And it's a good thought. The only thing that came to mind when I first read it is that maybe before Alex had showed up to the house after the pond, maybe she had a more direct conversation with the parents and then used a confundus charm to basically calm them down. Oh, that, that could be the case for sure. I think that that's a, that's a pretty good guess at what happened, I think. So, yeah, they have this conversation. Alex waits around. We're at the next day from the conversation with Brian at this point. And eventually the bus shows up to pick Alex up. And this is the bus. And as it's described coming around the corner, Alex is expecting this, like, big magical tour bus. And what it is is it's just a school bus. But it's one of the school buses that we would traditionally see being used to uh, carry disabled kids from place to place. Yeah. And that's kind of off-putting to Alex right away. She doesn't exactly like that. And I think now, like all of us looking back, like there's no, there's nothing to be shameful about that. But I do like how the author presents it because as an 11-year-old, you probably would feel some shame. Like I know it's a stigma. I know it's not correct. But you probably would have that in your mind as a preteen. It is, yeah. It is a definitely like a schoolyard trope, right? Like, if you ride on that particular bus, then there's something wrong with you. And that's not even always the case. I mean, I having been a teacher for a while, I know for a fact those buses are used to transport all types of kids, disabled or able-bodied. So, right. But as a young person, that's not really what you have in your mind necessarily. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I just wanted to come to the author's defense here because I see nothing wrong with it. Um, I understand what they're trying to say. I don't think they were trying to say it in a derogatory way, but I do think that as an 11-year-old, it would likely come across that way. So it's a good little hint of perspective there. Yeah, he's definitely playing on the American kind of prejudice. You know? Oh, yeah. And especially, like you said, Brady, for younger elementary age kids. Yeah. And so uh, once we get past the description of what the bus looks like, Alex is welcomed onto the bus by uh, a woman who's described as being a large woman with frizzy white hair. Uh, her name is Tabitha Speaks. And she's welcomed onto the bus by Miss Speaks. And as she gets on, she notices, oh, wait a second. This bus isn't what it seems. It's actually way bigger on the inside than it was on the outside. And that's, uh, I think that makes her feel a little bit better about the situation right away. But it's also a cool visual. I like the visual of that. Yeah. I also think, you know, kind of a difference here. Like you see the, the night bus is this the tour bus uh, or, you know, a typical London bus, but obviously it's magical and it can squeeze between other buses. It can, it can travel incredibly fast, etc. But here we have this bus where the outside, similar to when Miss Grimm stopped at the, the laundromat in the last episode and she turned it into this rust bucket. I mean, it's basically like they're hiding in plain sight, basically. Yeah. These are, these are things intentionally designed to allow wizards to continue living their quote-unquote normal lives without drawing the attention of people who don't need to be have their attention drawn yeah and i know we've brought up the original series a lot already this chapter but this was really akin to me for the quidditch world cup yeah because not only were the tents larger on the inside than the outside but in the books at least there were also muggles that were taking the tickets for the event so i mean it was very much like you said hiding in plain sight right and i think that that's a that's one of the most fun things about the wizarding world is how much they get away with just by looking like that they don't have the best stuff or or by just kind of blending in, which right. is which is a fun thing. Um, so, yeah, we meet Tabitha Speaks, who's the bus driver. We also meet um, an older student of Charmbridge who's named Gwendolyn Adams, and she's there to be the student mentor for the trip to the Goblin Market. Um, I can only best describe Gwendolyn as somebody who tries too hard like tries so hard that 
it kind of is off-putting to the other students. Yeah. The the thing I thought of was Lavender Brown when she was dating Ron. Like, how annoying and, uh, you know, uh, gosh, intrusive she was in, in Ron's life, I guess. Sure. I, I can see the comparison. I she's not. It's not like she's being clingy. Yeah. But yeah. she's... The kids are obviously like just wanting to be to themselves, and yeah. as she walks past all the kids, she's a little bit too much in their face. My mm-hmm. thought was just take a daycare teacher and put them in a middle school class and treat them the same way. It very clearly was uh, not something she had a ton of experience with. Sure. And so Alex uh, is led to sit with the other people that are her age. They're going to be sixth graders at Charmbridge, so she's led to sit with the other sixth graders. And right now, at least in this moment, they're all girls the same age as Alex and she meets several of them. She meets somebody named Angelique Devereaux, uh, another person named Darla Dearborn and something that we get an impression of right away about Darla is that she seems to not be very approving of muggle-born wizards. She also seems a little bit elitist from a couple of the Mm -hmm. conversations we have. Yeah, for sure. Uh, We also meet Anna Chu who is a witch, a young witch from San Francisco uh, Alex immediately asks her, why are you going to school here if you're from San Francisco? And she gives an answer that we're going to get into in just a second. We also meet two twins, um, Constance and Forbearance. And immediately, they're kind of, I don't know that Darla is trying to be prejudiced here, but she like immediately makes sure Alex knows that these two are from the Ozarks. They're called Ozarkers. Um and that they're twins. It's like she's trying to justify their behavior before they've done anything. Right. And yeah, how they're described, I mean, to us, we would almost like look at them as like maybe a possible Amish society because they're wearing the bonnets. They seem to be really covered up, secluded from the rest of society. Um, But you're exactly right. It seems like she's already making an excuse in case they do something wrong. The the, uh, thing we talked, you know, we talked about it before uh, starting recording, but I kind of joked and said, this is definitely like children of the corn, you know, like they were finishing each other's sentences and it was, they were kind of talking with a slang, kind of redneck slang-ish and uh, definitely was interesting to see that. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, I mean, it's made clear right away that they're from a bit of a different subculture than the remainder of the other sixth graders that we see sitting on the bus. And we are... uh going to get more information about that subculture later on but for now what we know about them is that uh they're twins and they're the first in their family to be allowed to go to a actual wizarding school instead of being homeschooled right and to that point a little bit later on in their conversation you have an older ozarker uh come to the table and tell them quit boasting about being the only people from your family here and then as the person walks away, they have the, the nerve to say, like, under their breath that it's better for a girl to stay in the home. Like, we're we're getting a pretty good look at maybe what, uh, I guess, the Ozarker subculture's mindset is about some of this stuff. Right. And it's something that, I mean, in Muggle society, I suppose, hasn't been a very traditional thought for hundreds of years at this point. But it's interesting seeing, or maybe a hundred years at this point, but it's interesting seeing it still around in the wizarding world, which typically I would consider a little more progressive with things like that. I found it interesting that he said, stop acting like sorcerers, like this subculture of the American wizards think other wizards are almost impure, so to speak. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out moving forward, because I definitely see some potential conflict involved in there uh just to finish out really quick uh the reason why anna tells alex that she's not going to school in san francisco is because her parents wanted her to go to one of the big four wizarding schools so we know that there's three other wizarding schools aside from charmbridge in the u.s and they're considered the big four and it's explained that the big four are called that because the education's better there and the social life is better there as well. Right. So I actually wanted to pause here and ask Baylor, where do you think these four schools are? Knowing the geography of the United States, where do you think it would make the most sense? Because I was surprised that there's not one closer to California than where Anna is heading. Yeah, that kind of made me think, like, maybe 
first off, the maybe the magical society in America kind of got established in colonial times, so there, the expansion west hadn't happened yet. Um, so I would say probably there's – I would think Charmbridge is in, is in Chicago. I would think there's probably one in the south, like Texas. Um, there's probably one in Florida. And then I know Ilver Mooney is one that I know of, and I think that's in the northeast. Yeah, so I actually – I want to take just a second there. You said exactly what I had thought originally. How awesome would it be to have a wizard school in Florida and Texas? I mean, we've all heard the Florida man stories. We know about Texas rooting, tooting, guns, and shooting. It would be hilarious to see wizards raised in those cultures to see what kind of things they'd be up to. That is true. That would be a pretty interesting thing to see, especially I like to now, my own headcanon now is that if there's a wizarding school in Florida, it's responsible for the Florida man stories. Yeah, every Florida man is a wizard. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, they just like got released from St. Mungo's a little bit too early. Or I something. guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to finish off the chapter, we learn about a standardized test called the Spawn, which is like it's basically the entrance exam for some of these schools. Um, Alex hasn't taken it, so we don't know very much more about it other than that. And we also pick up one final sixth grader, a boy from Detroit, um, Michigan, whose name is David Washington. And he sits down, and they talk a little bit, and then the bus arrives in Chicago. Yeah, and two things I want to point out that I think we kind of glossed over in that. David Washington, to me, immediately muggle-born. He's wearing a sports jersey. It's not something a traditional wizard would care about, muggle sports, stuff like that. And then the other thing that I think we glossed over just a little bit, and you might have been going into it here in a moment, but the fact that any time that Alex brought up with any of these kids, that Dean Grimm was the one who came and visited her and took her to ice cream, that all of them are just amazed by that. They're stunned by that. They've heard that Dean Grimm is some sort of, like, legend amongst the school. So it's it's interesting to see that she got that special treatment. Yeah, one thing I wanted to say uh, about the spawn in particular was – they were also amazed that Alex hadn't even taken it. And they said the only way that that would happen is that you've proven that you're super powerfully magical. And Alex obviously couldn't say, yeah, I've proven that. But that leaves me to think that that is why uh, Miss Grimm is extending the offer. Sure. I There's definitely some sort of connection there. Like if everybody else had to take the test uh, to get to be accepted into Charmbridge and Alex didn't and Dean Grimm was the one who personally came and invited her to come to the school. There must be some sort of connection between those two things. And I'm sure immediately all the other sixth graders are like, who is this person? Like, what are we competing against? Yeah, definitely. And so that's uh, chapter five. We actually got a lot of conversation out of that, more than we expected that we were going to. And so um, I guess we should hurry and jump right on into our casting segment for this episode unless either of you have any final thoughts i suppose no i think we covered it i know there was a lot of character introduction but nothing went super in depth yet so i don't think we need to go super in depth about what we think about the characters until we learn more sure and we're definitely going to get more about these people that they specifically mentioned so uh who are we going to be casting today delbert so um i mentioned last week that it's a little bit difficult to cast a lot of the kids and this episode was primarily children so even though she wasn't featured too prominently in the episode i thought it would be pretty important to go back and cast claudia so alex's mom in this case yeah i think that's a good idea i think her mom's gonna play a a pretty prominent role going forward anyways and so it'd be good to get that casting out of the way early yeah so for this week baylor how about you lead us off with who you've got So I went with a younger Kathy Bates who played the mom in Waterboy. And we saw the issues from that movie, and we saw how she was able to give this stern love but also have a soft touch in that movie. So I thought that that would be a really good way to play Claudia, especially in this chapter where we see kind of a change in character where she's suddenly showing this concern and care for Alex. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I did it a little bit different this week. I actually tried to look for a nurse that would fit, and the only one that I can actually find is um, from Scrubs. I forget the character's name, but I know you know it, Brady. Elliot? Yeah. That's who I um, was thinking initially, but I decided to go to the next best thing, which is a jumpsuit instead of Scrubs. So I went with Taylor Schilling from Orange is the New Black. 
Oh, wow. Because the jumpsuit reminded me of Scrubs to a sense. Um, and she's got that blonde hair, and I just think she would fit perfectly. That's really interesting because I heavily considered her both last week for Dean Grimm and this week for Claudia. Interesting. So who'd you go with? Uh, I actually ended up going with a bit of a different route as well. Um, I just watched the movie Dear Evan Hansen and Amy Adams. A lot of people would probably know her from her time on The Office when she was the purse-selling lady and also a love interest of Jim before he came to his senses about Pam. Um, I ended up picking her because specifically because in the movie Dear Evan Hansen, she plays the role of concerned and upset mother very, very well, I think. She uh, did a really good job. And also, I just kind of went with her because in the movie, she looks like somebody who I imagine Alex's mom to look like. Yeah, makes sense to me. All right, there's our casting for this week. We've got a, we've got a decent cast list starting to assemble here. I'm excited to see what they look like at the end so that we can maybe make some revisions, but so far this has been a fun segment. Yeah, I enjoy it. Uh, and then from there, now that we've casted, I think before we get to Baylor's prediction, I just wanted to talk about this theory I read on Reddit. Since 9-11, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 happened not too long ago uh, from when we're recording this. There was a lot of posts on Reddit about 9-11 and even in the Harry Potter subreddit, there was some posts about it. And this person, in the most politically correct way possible, I would say, just posted a short discussion about how the wizarding world would have been impacted by 9-11. Given what we know now, what has come out from then, the, th the programs that have been developed. So I sent this to you guys a little bit earlier but basically what it is, is it's just a kind of a quick write-up about how 9-11 would have affected the wizarding world. And it starts off with talking about the surveillance state. Uh, we all know that surveillance and security got really ramped up after 9-11. And so this person basically is positing that in the wake of 9-11, wizards would not have been able to keep themselves a secret any longer. They're kind of instead, because of the heightened surveillance that's existing... Wizards would be found out by uh, by muggle governments a lot easier because they'd see a lot more stuff, especially having so many people dedicated to noticing this stuff. So I was wondering what you guys thought about that. So I had a couple takes on it. We'll probably go back and forth, I assume, Baylor. But yeah. my immediate take is that it makes sense that if this were the case, wizards would have definitely been caught. I know it mentions in here that even Arthur Weasley, who is in charge of like a muggle department, doesn't know what a rubber duck is. So they would be extremely unprepared to deal with the technology that they that the governments would have at their hands to be able to investigate people and track people and whatnot. My biggest concern on that is I think this would have happened a long time before 9-11 if that was the case. I think you're seeing this during the Cold War, if anything. Absolutely, yeah. And I also think... To kind of go along with that, the author of this post basically is using what we know from the Harry Potter series kind of as evidence of muggle-wizard relations. And I just think that in the entire series, the muggle-wizard relations just aren't covered enough because that simply isn't what the book's about. And I just think JKR covered it where it was necessary, but obviously didn't go in, in depth. Yeah, and if I recall correctly, it's been a while since I read through the original series, but there is a point where wizards interact with the British Prime Minister, correct? Yeah, there's like at least some awareness to top-level government officials that wizards exist, but it's not like a working knowledge of of what wizards are or what they do. It's more like the wizards come in and say, hey, by the way, magic is real. Keep that to yourself. Right, and in this article, it seems like it wouldn't be as much as knowing about them as much as trying to control them. To an extent. Sure, yeah. The article gets a little bit deeper. We're not going to get into that about how if we found out about wizards, the government would have like motivation to turn those wizards into tools, into assets, and to make better spies and use their magical powers to, to generate better cloaking ability for airplanes and all kinds of stuff. I didn't really want to get too far into that, but I just wanted to know what you guys thought about if the surveillance state existed in the Harry Potter universe, would wizards have as much privacy as they do? 
And I agree with you both when you say that it's unlikely that that wizards would be able to keep to themselves as much as is established in the Harry Potter universe, just because the surveillance state is everywhere, man. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely true. And there was two other things that I wanted to say about this article. The first, and I know it's like a touchy subject still, but World War II, the Holocaust, things like that. I mean, it's been associated with Grindelwald and Fantastic Beasts. It makes me wonder what JKR originally had intended as far as, you know, a mix between Gellert Grindelwald and Hitler coming out of the same areas. I mean, it's a touchy subject, so I don't want to delve too deep into it. So I wonder if something like this had already occurred canonically, or at least in JKR's head. But the other thing I wanted to touch on just at the end of my set for this, I'm glad that the author was using this as a reason to dismiss Cursed Child. Yeah, that is... Big fan of that. It was like the <laughs> the whole write-up was just a way to say that either Cursed Child can't be canon, or if it is canon, there's some serious oversight. I think it would be uh, fantastic if someone could somehow disprove JKR and make it non-canonical again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you were talking about World War II and the Holocaust and Cold War and all that stuff. I mean, we know that the Statue of Secrecy was developed within the last however long, 500 years, I guess, I would say. I can't remember the exact year, but I think it's above 1500. So clearly, Muggles at one time knew that wizards existed and they were a community together. Obviously, not a good community because wizards were hurting Muggles. Muggles probably weren't doing anything to wizards because they were scared. But So I think that's also why the Statue of Secrecy was in place, I guess, was made, was to try to avoid this thing. Um, but also one more thing, you talked kind of about it, how the wizard was planted kind of in the prime ministry, uh, prime minister's office, excuse me. I feel like there would be a wizard, they were they would be smart if they did this, but a, a wizard or wizards would be planted in every major government around the world, I would think. And the reason this would just allow for continual protection and damage control as needed if... Like this guy said, some big event happened where they found out they could quickly wipe the memories before it got out. That's a very interesting thought. I hadn't even considered the counter of what we're saying of U.S. or, you know, muggle government surveilling wizards compared to the fact that wizards might already be doing that. And like you said, just wiping any memories of people that find out. Yeah, I just I just thought it would disregarding this would have caused the downfall of wizards long before 9-11, like right. you had mentioned. Yeah, I I think that's true. I just wanted to bring this whole post up just because I thought it was, it was an interesting look into uh, what it would take maybe for wizards to be found out by muggles in the Harry Potter universe because it seems like they do a pretty good job of keeping that under wraps. But one last thing I wanted to touch on here is that I agree with you that it would be nice to have some information from an official source about how wizards interact with some of these major events that happen in the muggle world like World War II and... I think luckily, should Fantastic Beasts finish out all five movies, we're going to get some answers on that point because everything's coming to a head right at the time that World War II is happening as well. And we even saw in the, the second Fantastic Beasts movie, in like the glimmer of Grindelwald's eye, the atomic bomb going off. And so it'll be interesting to see how those things interplay with each other. Right. I think from there, we can go into Baylor, your prediction for next episode which is going to be chapter six i believe so we'll go ahead and start by rating your most previous prediction first giving it a grade and then we'll hear your new prediction and we'll sign off from there so let's uh go ahead and have everybody take a listen to your most recent prediction your prediction for chapter five my prediction was even though miss grim dean grim lilith whoever however you want to call her even though she essentially scared what seemed like scared Alex saying, you know, don't do magic or else we're going to do bad things to you. Even, not really, but kind of. Um, even though she was told this and she was told this trace exists that marks her every move because Lilith was saying things that she was like, nobody else knows that I did that. I think she still will test the, the new bounds that she's been given. And, uh, but I also think at the very end, end of the book or at the chapter, she says, you know, why not live in a life full of blissful ignorance or I can't remember the exact word, but, um, 
So I don't think she'll tell Brian anything, but I do think she'll try magic again. All right. So there you had it. We, uh, seems like last time you predicted that Alex would kind of listen to Dean Grimm, but not totally that she, she wouldn't tell Brian, but she would do magic again. So, uh, what are your thoughts, Delbert? Well, wrong on one count. That's for sure. So, I mean, overall, it seems fairly accurate besides the part with Brian. I think so, too. I do think you played it a little bit safe with this prediction. And so, for my grade, I'm hard-pressed to give you anything more than an acceptable. You got I, it right, but you didn't really take any risks here. I would say acceptable, possibly leaning downward, but I think I'll stay acceptable. So, we'll, we'll go ahead and slot that one in an acceptable, which the good news is that brings your your prediction average grade up onto the positive side of things. You are now on the passing side. You are not completely that, neutral. That is great. And my future as an or is hopefully on the right track, trending in the right direction. It's trending we'll in the right direction. That's that is right. true. There's room for growth here. Uh, what are your predictions for chapter six? What kind of wild and crazy antics are we going to get into? I will say that I uh, heeded your guys's advice from last episode and, I have once again brought two guesses along with me. Oh boy. Fantastic. One a little bit more mundane and one completely out of left field because why the hell not? So my first guess, uh, she's on the bus to go to the Goblin Market. I honestly think it'll be incredibly similar to what we see in Harry Potter. I think she'll go there. They'll go from shop to shop, get her wand. It'll probably be some kind of fitting process. Uh, she'll run into... Like she'll go into, you know, get her gown or robes fit, um, get her books, you know, maybe even end up with a pet. I don't know. Um, I also want to mention that this this is where JKR introduced the antagonist in the series. So I think the same thing will happen in this book. I think we'll we'll get an idea of what potentially an enemy is to Alex Quick in this wizarding world. Uh, the second guess, like I said, completely out of left field, so stick with me. I think, similar to Harry Potter's trip to Hogwarts in The Prisoner of Azkaban, something will go haywire, not Dementors per se, but there will be some kind of dark magic that will stop the school bus. And what I have written down, which I think is hilarious, is Mrs. Speaks, who appears to be a gentle older lady, We'll have to just blow them away. And all I can see is is a Molly Weasley type figure. How dare you cast that at my <laughs> daughter, you bitch, or whatever she says in the seventh book. I honestly think this will be something along what we see uh, with Grindelwald. I, I, I honestly think it might be a following of Grindelwald. Obviously, long after the fact, because Grindelwald is now locked up, but some some sect of people that are still following his ideals. All right. That one, that second one might be harder to grade. Yeah. Just on one chapter's information. But I think that uh, I like it. That seems like something we might have to wait, you know, seven books to grade. Potentially. Maybe we don't know. <laughs> maybe we don't know. Uh, but overall, I think two pretty solid predictions. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Obviously playing hard on the Harry Potter this episode. Sorry about that, but it is what it is. I mean, I'm surprised you didn't reach out to Rita Skeeter to try to find out more information. Ooh, good idea. Yeah. After all, we are reading a book set in the universe that Harry Potter created, so exactly. there's going to be some reference to oh, that. Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of reference. I suppose with that, that's the end of episode three. Uh, thanks for sticking with us again. We, uh, we've really enjoyed doing this so far, so we hope you're enjoying listening to it. As always, we have social media now. We have an email address. Please throw that to us. Add us on Twitter. Tag us in pictures on Instagram. Send us emails with questions you might have. Anything that you want to do, we're willing to accept. Uh, and you can get those socials in the description of the podcast. Yeah, and I just wanted to give a quick shout out both to the Alexander Quick subreddit and also the Alexander Quick Discord. I've reached out to them this week to get some community thoughts on some uh, usage of material and some thoughts about who might be able to come on as a guest in the future. And they have been nothing except great to me. They've given me permission to use different things, which you might see in upcoming episodes. And we are super excited to work closely with those communities. We are, yeah. In particular, uh, the little sound that you hear in our intro 
has been provided to us by the creator of the Alexander Quick audiobook series. And so we're really excited to be working uh, with them and hoping to have them on an episode sometime in the future. Shout out Sam Gabriel. Uh, any closing thoughts? I'm good to go. I'm ready to keep reading. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it every week. Like, I know you and I have already read this, Brady. I know, Baylor, you're probably just waiting to get into more. But every week I feel a little bit uh, happier to go home and be able to crack the book into the next episode just to get back into what we're trying to find out. Yeah, I'm excited, too. It's been fun so far. And with that, we're going to go ahead and end. Uh, We'll see you guys next time on the Remedial Magic Podcast. And before you go, I just wanted to remind you, don't go to the pond. Don't do magic. Stay in your room. Do nothing. Have a good night.